Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, today's movie comes to you via request from a few of our patrons. This is a big shout out to Dave and Jessica, who requested Frailty, the 2001 Bill Paxton starring and directed film. Um, What a great idea, because... uh, I know of this movie. I did watch it once before. I remembered it being pretty freaky and pretty twisty. And I didn't really think of it as a horror movie at the time. I I, I just remembered thinking of it as like a crime-type film. But once I watched it the second time, definitely classifies as a horror movie. Really enjoyed it this time around as well. I probably watched this around the time it came out, but on video. And I think uh, this is the only film that Bill Paxton has directed. Am I right about that? I think so. I mean, uh, when he was done with this one, in the the director's commentary, he said that he hoped that he would have the opportunity to direct again, but I don't think that he did. Which is unfortunate, because I think he did a really good job. I'm typically skeptical when people um, direct themselves. Mm -hmm. It it always kind of feels like a vanity project, but this didn't. You know, his his character is pivotal. I mean, he's, he's a main character, but... I, he's not the main character, and I, I thought, just based on what I've read, it sounded like um, he was a pretty easy director to work for, and it, it just seems, uh, his performance seems natural. I know there's one scene in particular that he felt that he maybe went a little bit over the top, but it, I didn't think so. But I always enjoy watching Bill Paxton. I think he's a really good actor. And uh, as far as directing goes, this seems perfectly competent to me, um, especially considering, you know, they shot it on a pretty low budget and, uh, you know, it was his first time behind the camera, but the man had an extensive career, you know, in front of the camera. So it's not like he was completely green. But um, yeah, no, I, I didn't realize that he directed it until... I watched it this time when I pulled up uh, the IMDb page. I saw that he directed it. I'm like, dang, I, we should have done this for our Bill Paxton tribute when he passed. Yeah. But well, I didn't even didn't even occur to me. Again, the reason I think I passed over it was because I really wasn't thinking of it in my head as a horror film, you know. But I mean, horror. What is it, right? It's just horrible things happening. Really, we've done a lot of movies where it's it, you know it could actually happen in real life. There's nothing supernatural about it. What one thing I really liked about this movie was just how unpredictable it was. Like, I feel like just when you think you know where it might be going, it, it throws a little twist in there, or at least it throws enough doubt in there. Uh-huh. And there's always a carrot of doubt dangling in front of you for this movie that uh, it's it just had me gripped really pretty much from the opening scene, I have to say. Uh, just It's just a big mystery. What's going on? What's this character? What are these characters' motivations? The story is a story more or less told in flashback, but then it brings us into the modern day, and you're kind of wondering, how is this all going to wrap up? I think quite unpredictable. I remember being very surprised the first time, and <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but I remember being surprised at being surprised. Mm, yeah. like, um, I didn't see the twist at the end coming. And in watching it, I, I think this is probably the third time I've seen this because I, I saw it like you soon after it came out. And then one of our big box video stores here in my town 
went out of business and sold everything at ridiculously low prices and and I bought it for like a buck or something and watched it again. It is good. It's good at building suspense. It's good at casting doubt and suspicion. And then the end surprised me. And uh, I guess there were some choices that were made that kind of prolonged the suspense. I think originally some things were intended to be revealed much earlier. Paxton got advice from another famous director. I don't remember if it was James Cameron. James Cameron, yep. James Cameron told him, you know, you need this suspense. You need people to be questioning things. And you need them on the side of certain characters if you want the ending to be effective. And I think that that advice was spot on, uh, and it really worked for me. Paxton said that he intended the movie to be a movie that you would want to watch and would enjoy watching multiple times. Mm. He wanted that surprise the first time around, but then he wanted you to also have the satisfaction of knowing the twists and going back and watching, finding new clues and and things that suggested. I think that makes sense. I think that you do really want to watch this movie more than once, at least twice. Yeah. It feels like a completely different experience. When you know how things eventually play out, watching it again, it's interesting. I I do have to say that um, a little bit of the... Because I knew what was going to happen, obviously a little bit of the suspense was lost, so it wasn't quite as exciting the second time. But um, still, still very interesting. I love it when movies drop clues. I don't want the clues to be too obvious. <laughs> you know, right. you want to find that right mystery level balance. But this movie definitely drops hints. And as a guy who went back to watch it and generally remembered how it went, but I did not remember the ultimate sort of conclusion and explanation behind everything. So I was still guessing through the movie, even though I generally knew what was going to happen. I was on the lookout and kind of relishing these clues. They were just some very poignant words that are said in moments and things that are just big flashing red signs, <laughs> especially once you've seen it a second time. But also, I just thought that the care with which the movie was made, it's it takes its time. It's a slow... I mean, it's, it is. it's a slow burn, but it's a slow and suspenseful burn. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is gorgeous and not pretentious, but still very thoughtful and... There's a lot of meaning, I think, imbued in the framing of the scenes and the way certain things are shot. It's just very satisfying. I mean, a movie as art, you know, where, where somebody's just not pointing a camera around and whipping it around and, 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 and trying to be super stylized or whatever. But just it, it has a style that is really impressive for a first-time filmmaker. And yet... You know, he's this is not his first foray into into the film world. You know, I mean, right. So uh, it's not like Bill Paxton, you know, graduated from high school and cobbled some money together to make this first movie, right? But you can see that he's learned the lessons from all the projects that he's been in and really brought it all in here. And I'm quite surprised, actually, that he didn't get a chance to do anything after this. And he worked so closely with so many esteemed directors before, so you know that he had to have picked things up along the way and um i think another reason that this movie that the suspense works so well is because the stakes seem really high yeah it's scary uh especially you know in in a lot of ways too 
Um, we talked about how it's got elements of crime drama, which it certainly does, and I like those elements of it. But it's also a family drama. I was really invested in these characters. Um, yeah. It, it, center, it centers around a father, a widowed father, and his two young sons. And I was invested in their relationship. And as is typically the case in real life, their relationship is very, it's nuanced, um, it's complicated, and, and confusing. Uh, yeah. And I, I, think that's, I think that's very true to life. It feels real, and it's very sincerely played by two very talented child actors, I think. Yeah. Matt O'Leary, he's been in a lot of stuff, actually, since this movie. Um, This wasn't his first film, but it was only his third. And then uh, Jeremy Sumter, uh, who I believe was in the Peter Pan from 2003, and it's been in a Yeah, I think you're right. And this was his first film. He was the young boy, youngest boy, Adam, in, in this movie. Yeah, their performances as well, very convincing. Yeah, especially Matt O'Leary, who plays young Fenton. I mean, he carries much of the weight of this movie on his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and he does it in a very skillful way for an actor so young. He's, I mean, and then since then, he's he has like forty nine credits to his name. He's been in the this a couple of the Spy Kids movies, and then as an as an adult now, like the Agents of Shield TV series, and um, a number of uh, of films and stuff. So, and TV and TV. So uh, he's got a, an ongoing career where he has three or four projects in the works at any given time during the year. So, uh, <laughs> it, it the movie did well, did him well <laughs> for sure. <Yeah. laughs> Well, it starts out in this so such a classic way, right? It's this mm-hmm. um, very dark and stormy, rainy night, and this guy just uh, shows up at an FBI office. Who's, he says his name is, is Fenton Meeks, and he comes in, and Powers Booth is the FBI agent that he comes to see. He wants to see this guy who has been assigned to the God's Hands Killer case mm-hmm. um, which is sort of the serial killer unsolved serial killer series of murders uh, and he basically just sits down and says I know who did it and it was my brother right and Powers Booth uh, is a very recognizable face he was in just a ton of stuff and I love this guy but he's always this sort of stern either sort of cowboy rugged dude or once again this um high level rough and tumbled kind of detective or, or that kind of thing. He was also in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, Gideon Malik. In fact, he, uh, sadly, he and uh, Bill Paxton died in 2017, uh, the same Both year. Both of them, yeah. Yeah. And they had worked together before and were good friends. I think they met on Tombstone and became good friends. And... Oh, and I love Tombstone. <laughs> oh, it was a great movie. I think Paxton really admired him as an actor and so, you know, was pleased to work with him on this. Adult Fenton is played by Matthew McConaughey, a young, very handsome Matthew McConaughey. In, I mean, this was he had done some other things. I think his star was already rising at this point, but young. I mean, this was over 20 years ago, so it doesn't feel like it. Like, isn't that... God, we're so old. I, I can't believe that this movie is over 20 years old. I couldn't believe it, it either. It doesn't feel like that's possible. No. And it doesn't... It, do, it feels like it could have been made yesterday. I mean, that's how good it looks. It's true. It's not really dated at all. I mean, of course, most of the movie's in flashback, so that that helps as well. As soon as they sit and they talk, and he mentions this, 
he says that his brother, he, he again, uh, he's talking, but then we get to see this visually. And sometimes a narration comes in. Oftentimes the movie's just playing out in flashback. But he says uh, just before he came over, you know, his brother had called him and had said um, that demons are taking over the world and uh, you need to take me to the Rose Garden like you promised. And then um, he shot himself mm-hmm. in the head. This would be Adam. Of course, um, the agent, uh, what's his name? The FBI agent. Wesley. Wesley, yeah, agent that's Wesley. right. Wesley says, oh, come on. He's very skeptical. He's extremely skeptical and says, well, how do you know that he killed these people? And he says, well, it, it all goes back to the summer of 1979. Uh, and then we get them as children. Uh, and then the story kind of unfolds. But just before that, Wesley calls the Thurman Sheriff's Department. That's right. And and speaks with, I guess, a receptionist who confirms what Fenton said. He's, he's like, oh, yeah, that Fenton. It, it, it almost sounds like he's kind of the town troublemaker, but they're not really particularly concerned about him. He's like, yeah, he stole an ambulance and his brother's body. So the story gets confirmed, and mm-hmm. the agent comes back in and says, you know, they said they they they're not interested in pressing charges. They just want you to return the ambulance and that kind of stuff. But basically, um, this woman confirms what Fenton has said, and so he's willing to listen to the story. And you're right. Then we jump back to the summer of 1979, and and these cute boys. I mean, they're both just. I don't know how old, twelve and ten maybe, mm-hmm. roundabouts, young. And they're cute, and they're just they're walking home from school, I think. And Adam is singing like a religious song that I used to sing back in Catholic school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. They're supposed to say where. <laughs> I don't want to sing that dumb song. <laughs> you don't have to sing. Just say where. All right, where? Not now. I'll point to you when it's time. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart to stay. Fenton, you know, through his narration, explains that uh, their town, uh, Thurman, Texas, this all takes place in Texas. Uh, All the central actors are are Texas-born. He explains that their town has this public rose garden, and they live in the house directly behind it. The house was originally built for the garden keeper, but his dad got it on auction for really cheap, and uh, they live there. The, the mother passed away in childbirth with the second kid, so it's just the three of them. And, and the dad is a mechanic. And, and we only get to kind of see, before strange things start happening, we only get a glimpse of their life but it seems nice it seems like a nice life you know uh dad works hard but he seems like a caring loving dad the boys um fenton especially because he's the older one seem to kind of help take care of things fenton makes dinner it's on the table every day when dad gets home from work they all sit and have dinner together it seems like a really nice dynamic it really does so then when things get thrown into chaos, 
you kind of you feel bad. <laughs> you know, every everything was everything seemed to be going okay, and then all of a sudden they just get hit with this bomb. Yeah, they're they're just laying in bed, you know, sleeping, and Dad comes in and wakes them up and says, "Boys, boys," and and they're worried. What, what, what's going on? What's going on? He says, "There's something very important I need to tell you. Something just happened," um, and he says that he got a vision from an angel. God spoke to him through this angel. And there's a little flashback where he's looking from his bed at some of his uh, trophies, I guess, across the way. And uh, one of them has an angel-like figure on the top of it, and it kind of glows. And he's looking at it. And anyway, and he says, The end of the world is coming. It's near. The angel showed me. There are demons among us. The devil has released them for the final battle. It's being fought right now. Nobody knows it except us and others like us. I'm scared, Dad. There's nothing to be afraid of, Tiger. We've been chosen by God. He will protect us. He's given us special jobs to do. We don't fear these demons. We destroy them. We, we pick them up one by one and we pitch them out of this world. That's God's purpose for us. The angel called us God's hands. So we're like superheroes? That's right. We're a family of superheroes are going to help save the world. But, Dad, that doesn't make any sense. I know it sounds that way, son, but it's the truth. Nobody else can see them or identify them, and God is going to send them three weapons to help in the process, and they can't tell anyone about their task. And he is absolutely sincere. Uh-huh. As he's delivering and this. and and calm, yes. Like this is just this has happened, and and this is what we have to do now. And uh, initially, this was shot where all three of them were sitting on the same bed, but they changed it so that Fenton and Adam were both in their own bed, and they shot it from two different perspectives: one pointing at Adam and Dad on the bed. By the way, dad's never given a name. He's just dad throughout on, on Adam's bed. And then one pointing at Fenton on his bed. And as they're talking, both the cameras pull out and, and they, I wouldn't have noticed this, but once it was explained to me, I was like, wow, that is so clever because it, it immediately shows that they're being pulled apart, that they're separating because Adam is very young and that's why I say the family dynamic is so interesting because being so young, Adam just is on board. He just believes it. You know, if yeah. dad says it, it must be true. Fenton's a little older and more skeptical. And so from the very beginning, that Fenton's skepticism, along with dad's kind of what seems like fanaticism, starts to pull them apart. Yeah. And uh, there, there is a rift then that continues to widen um, throughout the rest of the movie. I mean, Fenton is almost downright terrified, you know, at this prospect. I mean, can you imagine, (laughs) you know, uh, I I have some crazy relatives, you know what I mean? But if somebody came to me with this, then I would definitely be disturbed. And... He's a kid, so he's also in not in a position of power. He's not a peer. They, they don't have a mom to go to. Like you said, it's sort of going to be dad and Adam on one side. And Fenton like, oh my God, dad is crazy. And he's 
you know, putting forward this fantastic story and something bad is going to come of it. And uh, he just sees all this right away. And that's impressive. But, you know, what can he really do? Right. I think that this was intentional. Yeah. I think that Paxton and, and the writers want us to sympathize with Fenton. Sure. I think they want us to be in Fenton's shoes because, you know, us, we being adults, my first thought, if, if this happened, if, if my dad came to me, my first thought would be he's lost it. My dad has lost it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when he's a kid, that's an even scarier prospect because... He's your provider. <laughs> he's he's your dad. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah, and it's you know, and and he's got this inner conflict where he knows that he should tell somebody, but who is he going to tell? And regardless of who he tells, nobody's going to believe him. That is always a conflict in a movie where you've got kids and adults. You know, yeah. adults adults believe other adults, or or they tend to over kids, especially. If it's something this big. That's true. Well, and it's a dad, you know, I mean, also, like, dad is off his rocker. Like, he's, like, he's thinking dad is mentally ill, right? And so, you know, it's not like he's running out going crazy and, and you know, he's going to start causing havoc. I mean, that's an easier thing to kind of, like, run around and, and convince people. Or to be, like, so oppositional. Like, dad, like, this is no, you know. But he just kind of knows that his dad already is so convinced and in so deep that there's even nothing he can say to him that's going to fix this. He's an adult, he's the father, and he's absolutely sincere about this, which just leads him to believe maybe Dad maybe Dad is wrong in the head, which is something he says to Adam a little bit later, and also something he says directly to Dad at one point. Dad is driving down uh, the way, and we get a little bit of voiceover here where he says, eventually Dad found his three weapons and brought them home. Dad's driving down the the highway, well, not the highway, the dirt country roads, the highways, and he looks and he sees a barn off in the field that has a sort of beam of light coming into it from the sky. And so he's intrigued and he pulls over and he comes in and walks into this kind of broken down barn. And there right directly under the beam of light is a post and an axe stuck in the post that has the word Otis written on it. And mm-hmm. a pair of gloves. I mean, it looks like heaven sent, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so he picks those up and brings that home and explains that this is these are the first weapons. And he says that God gave him a vision that he would be able to lay his hands to, on the people who are really demons to be able to expose their true form to him. And uh, speculates that must be what the gloves are for. Bring them back to the house with the gloves and then take the gloves off, lay hands on them and reveal their true form. And then later, he comes home with a little bundle and opens it up and it's a lead pipe, which is so unceremonious. Like, I do still wonder, like, where the hell did he... We don't really learn, do we? Like, where he got the lead pipe, how that was, like, revealed to him. And then he says... God is going to send us a list of the first seven demons really soon. And that, of course, Fenton is sort of freaking out about this because he realizes dad is going to kill people. And so he's a little concerned. I think he he talks to dad, right? He's got a moment where they're sitting in the, in the kitchen and, and he's talking to dad. Now, I know you've had some trouble adjusting everything that's happened this week. And I'm sorry. But God has willed this and we must obey God. Maybe you just dreamed it. 
I didn't dream it. I wouldn't make up something like that, son. Maybe... Maybe you're not right in the head. It happened, Fenton. It's true. You'll see that soon. He's reaching out a little bit, trying to convince his brother, maybe think this, don't be so, be a little more skeptical towards dad, and trying to kind of poke at dad a little bit to see if he can get through to that. But the thing that sells this movie so much is that Bill Paxton is absolutely sincere through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You look into his eyes, and there's never a doubt in your mind that this calm, cool, collected guy 100% believes this. And he's patient about it, and he's kind about it with his son. And he's not erratic. Aside from the things that he's saying sounding crazy, he's not acting crazy. Mm -mm. It would be very difficult. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in this kid's uh, position. It didn't occur to me, but he says, God will be sending the list of the first seven demons soon. And I remember thinking, well, that's... Okay, so you're going to be getting them seven at a time. Well, I guess ultimately that's significant because in present day, the God's Hand Killer has killed all these people. They found remains of the first victim with a note, but in that first note it said, you won't be finding any more remains because I want to keep them. And they've since found five more notes. So there have been six victims thus far at that point Mm -hmm. which becomes significant later (laughs) exactly it's so cool of course we don't find out about this until later as well but yeah it's so interesting right so then fenton through the voiceover says eventually dad you know had his vision and here's dad and his job as a mechanic underneath the car looking up at the underside of the car and all the pipes and things there's sparks flying behind him and everything from his his, uh, colleague who's behind him working on something And then he just looks at the undercarriage of the car as he's working on it, and he just stops. And we get this sort of, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s morphing effect where all of those little tubes and bits and things under there morph into the top of a chapel. And this angel rides down with a flaming sword towards him, and he's just staring at this angel, who I guess was like the props guy or something, actually. And uh, and yeah, and then he gets his vision, and now he's got his list of, of seven. And at this point, Fenton decides, once he sees Dad's got a list, he's like, he needs to do something. Well, and he says, Dad shows him the list, and he says, Dad, these are the names of people. Mm-hmm. And his dad says, well, they're going to look like people, but they're not. And and he's insistent about that throughout. They are not killing people. They are not killing people. They are destroying demons. Destroying demons, not killing anything. Yeah. Right. And weren't you thinking, like I was, I was like, where did he get that list from? Where did those people come from? Right? Uh-huh. Are they people he knows that he has a vendetta against? Or are they going to be people in their circle? Like, what is it? Anyway, what's kind of neat, too, is that they're sitting around the table at dinner time, and Adam runs in, and he says, Dad, Dad, God talked to me, too, and he gave me a list. And he hands his dad this list that he's made on a piece of paper, and he's like, this kid, isn't he the one who's messing with you at school? You know, and he's like, yeah, he's his son. And again, like super patient, like he's just teaching a lesson. Rational, everything Mm -hmm. like that. He's like, 
you know God didn't give you this list. This is just a list you made up, right? Uh, This isn't how this works. I have the real list. Surely someday in the future, God is going to come down to you. But for now, you know it's not right. We're destroying demons. These people aren't demons, are they? No, Dad, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's fine, son. Just teaching him a nice little lesson. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a really good scene. Yeah, at this point, Fenton feels like he has to put it, he has to put a stop to it somehow, but he doesn't know how. And so he tells Adam that they may have to run away, but Adam doesn't want to. He doesn't want to leave his dad. Um, and, and that's when dad brings home the first demon, mm. uh, who is a nurse and she's, she's bound, uh, her arms and legs are, are bound and, he carries her like you know, wrapped in a a tarp or a blanket or something, and and he he throws her down on the ground to go into the shed, and that's when the boys come out, and she, you know, it's it's a it's just a woman, um, yeah. and and her eye makeup is is smeared from crying, and and we see briefly that he just met her at her front door as she was coming out uh, for work, and he asked her name. I mean, he said her name, and she said, yeah, and he knocked her out, and uh, he's brought her here, and she's terrified. The boys are are scared, too, obviously, but then once he takes her in the shed, gosh, and I just thought this was so neat, too, and, and, it, and it just, I, I didn't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Dad takes off his gloves, and he touches her, and he has an immediate and severe reaction. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it feels like a visceral thing. Like, he's, he's kind of writhing in agony a little bit. Kind of a seizure type thing, yeah. But it seems like the woman has a reaction, too. Yes. Like, she reacts to his touch. Mm-hmm. Now, it very easily could be explained that she's just terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is, is recoiling at the touch of this man who has attacked her and who knows what he's going to do to her. But the, and they also, you know, the, the, the camera shakes, it, it's, it's all, it's all very unsettling and you just don't know what to make of it because in my head, in my rational head, I'm thinking it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You, you know, I, I guess that this scene, seeing this um, woman in distress was so upsetting to some members of the test audience that they got up and walked out. Yeah. And I get it. Like, it, it is distressing to see this woman in terror. And I think also probably piled on top of that, because we do see, you know, people bound and gagged and you know that bad things are going to happen to them in even, you know, a James Bond film or something. But... In this case, it's right there in front of those boys. And you know what's going to happen. And he's involving his children in this. Mm-hmm. It's pretty upsetting. <laughs> and so, you know, after the boys watch this, they are literally just standing there watching this. And what I like about this movie is it's not gory at all. All of the violence no. does happen off screen. There's not even a splash of blood or anything mm-hmm. like that. And kind of Thank God, really. It, it, I mean, it almost might have wandered into cheesy territory, you know, if it uh, if it had. But yeah, he he raises his axe and takes it down on her right there in front of the boys. It's like you boys need to see this because this is our duty. You know, this is what we've been tasked with doing. 
And then, you know, it flashes back to the present and the detective is like, is that really true? Your dad murdered this woman in front of you guys? And he's like, yep. Uh, And then we buried her in the Rose Garden. And there we are in the Rose Garden. They're digging, you know, he's digging the pit. The boys are there. And Fenton is in tears, upset about it. And dad is trying to comfort him again, very patiently. Don't cry for her, Fenton. She wasn't human. Didn't you see that when I touched her? I saw it, Dad. You you killed her. I didn't kill her, son. I destroyed her. She was a demon. You know, I wasn't so sure I could do it myself. I mean, she looked like a woman to me, too. But after I touched her, all I could see was the evil. And I had to do it. I'm sorry you didn't see it, too. You will next time. You're, you're gonna do it again? This is our job now, son. You've got to accept that. Again, like, it's just, the, the writing of the story is just so brilliant because a little kid would say that. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, ugh. and maybe even a little kid would want to see because they would want their dad's actions to be justified. Mm-hmm. It's just really clever. It is. It's super clever. And it, and it, and yet they don't give you quite enough information yet. Some more information comes later, which is so cool how this is parceled out. Well, and little details. I mean, it's hard to hit everything that I think is significant because some things are just dropped or said so casually. Mm-hmm. Um, like Fenton tells his dad, "I you you can't do this. I have to put a stop to it. I'll I'll tell someone." And Dad says, "If you tell someone, someone will die. That's what God told me." Yeah, that comes into play later. Then back in modern day. Um, Fenton tells Wesley that he thinks that all of the bodies that they are currently looking for are buried in the Rose Garden. Mm -hmm. So uh, Wesley throws him a pair of handcuffs, says, put these on yourself. He puts them in the back of a police car and and they start heading there and and the rest of their conversation happens on this drive and i love this conversation too i mean it's it's so classic hollywood i mean uh you know they're driving in the dark and you know the, the agents like got the stone face on look and in the back is wesley kind of staring out the, i'm sorry is um fenton kind of staring out the window and talking but agent wesley says i think there's something you're not telling me you are mm-hmm. hiding something from me. And uh, Fenton says, well, what, what do you think that is? And he's like, I don't know. You keep talking, and uh, I'll probably figure it out. Yeah, Fenton also asked Wesley about his mother, which he had already brought up his mother previously. And so at this point, when he brought her up again, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, but Wesley says that his mother was murdered Three days before this picture on his desk was taken, yeah, and then yeah, Fenton speculates maybe that's why you're so into, um, you know, this is why you're a detective now, this is why you're in the FBI. Well, right, and why you're so invested in this case, mm-hmm. because uh, his mother's murderer was never apprehended. So he speculates maybe you're so invested in finding this guy because they never found the guy that killed your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Then it, it drops, and they don't 
talk about it. Yeah, uh, for a while. And then we're back in the in the past, and uh, the kids uh, come home from school, and Dad has a van all of a sudden. And, well, the, the uh, Fenton does say, "Look, some time passed, like a month or two passed, and I thought maybe that was going to be the end of it." Right, maybe it was just a horrible nightmare and it's over. Yeah, which is also kind of a neat little motif, right? Like, there, there are these shots of him in, the, in school kind of, like, falling asleep. I, it was like Shades of Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, like, falling asleep, and it, it's just so neat how the visual matches what he's saying. Like, this kid just hoped that this was a nightmare and it would be done, and then he's disappointed. And then nothing happens for a while after the woman's mar- murdered, and then he she kind of thinks that might be the case again. But then he comes home, and it's just like, boom, nope. Dad's got his list in front of him again. And uh, one of the other kids at school had said, hey, why don't you come over to my house or sleep over? We're going to we're gonna wrap somebody's house. I'm not sure. TP it, I guess, is what he meant. I guess. And he says, oh, I'll have to ask my dad. And he's like, oh, I'll have my mom call your dad. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. But but they come home and sees dad with this van. And he's got this list in front of him again. And he says, oh, by the way, your friend's mom called and said, uh, I told her no. Because we've got some work to do in the morning. And that's, like, terrifying, of course, for Fenton, because he knows what that means. And so they drive out to get to the next guy on the list, which is this sort of older, balding, seemingly nice man who uh, is going into the grocery store. And they pull out into the parking lot across there with their van, and they wait. Well, and it's midday, and Fenton's like, Dad, it's the middle of the day. Somebody's going to see us. And he says, no, God told me that he would make us invisible. Nobody will see that while we're doing our work, nobody will see us. So (laughs) crazy. He forces Fenton to help him get this guy. You know, Fenton pretends that his puppy is stuck under the guy's car or something, and the guy bends down to help him, and, and Dad attacks him from the back. And again, midday in a grocery store parking lot, but apparently nobody does see them. No. And, you know, again, Dad kills the old guy in the axe with a shed after laying his hands on him and having the same reaction. And again, it looked to me like the old guy had a reaction to being touched as well. Yeah, and right after he get, he pulls his hand off him, he kind of says to him, he says, did you think that nobody would uh, remember what you did or did you think that nobody would know what you did or uh, forgot about that, huh? Which is a line that comes up later in the movie. Yeah, and he says he's upset because Adam, again, says that he saw, but Fenton still didn't. And his dad is upset. He doesn't understand why Fenton doesn't see. And the next scene we see is the morning. Dad comes into the boy's bedroom and wakes up Fenton and says, don't wake up Adam. I asked the angel to visit you. But instead he visited me. And he told me something. I don't want to believe. What? It doesn't matter. Because together, you and I are going to prove him wrong. You just don't have any faith. That's why you can't see the truth. But we're going to change that. Oh, God. That is so ominous, right? Because, I mean, I totally predicted what he was talking about, right? Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Well, and and how scary, you know... (sighs) Whether you believe that there's something going on or not, for the the dad to say, the angel told me something about you that I don't want to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, whether he wants to believe it or not, now that idea is in his mind. Mm-hmm. And 
whether he's crazy or whether he's not, he now has this idea about Fenton, which is scary. But he doesn't want to believe it. He thinks that he can establish Fenton's faith, I guess. And so he makes Fenton, he takes him out in the yard and hands him a shovel and says, I want you to dig a hole. <laughs> and, it, it, and he says, it has to be 10 feet deep and 15 feet square. It's like a pool. It's like a swimming pool size hole. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I want it half done by the time I get home from work. And Fenton's like, dad, I can't do that. And he says, pray. <laughs> like, that, is, that is insane. Yeah. But, I also I, I also love this part because Fenton in his narration says he could make me dig that hole, but he couldn't make me pray. I yes. would not pray. I hated God. Yes. It's so relatable. It is. <laughs> you know, you would hate God or the idea of God that dad is forcing on him. Oh, God. Uh, well, a couple of times in here, Fenton is talking to Adam, trying to convince him to leave, but he won't. And Fenton's in, in the narration saying that he himself considered leaving, but he just couldn't leave his brother behind. So he feels kind of stuck. And he's got blisters on his fingers, and Dad says, well, you can take a break, but you really got to wear those gloves. But he refuses to wear gloves. And then the line I absolutely love from this movie, when he's finished, he says, it took me five days working, you know, day and night to finally dig this hole. It's like he's determined to do it anyway, right? Actually, it was six days, which I thought was really clever because then on the seventh day he rested. <laughs> well, <laughs> he said after five, maybe it was six, including the first one, because he said it's like after five days yeah, or six yeah. days, that hole was as dark and as deep as my hatred for dad's God. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was such a good line. I had to write it down. You usually write lines down, and I don't, but I had to write that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. There were lots of good ones. And uh, then, you know, they, they reinforce it a little bit. Dad tells them that God said that it will hold, uh, <laughs> and, and it does. And, and they, they pull a shed over it, so it's basically a cellar. But Fenton says, I knew that we were building a dungeon, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's basically what it is. Uh, and so the the very next night, Dad brings home like this teenage boy um, and tries to make Fenton kill him. But Fenton runs, and he runs to the police, and and exactly what he feared happens. This sheriff doesn't believe him, mm -hmm. um, and he just takes him back home to Dad, and you know sits down and talks with Dad. Oh, you know they go through puberty, and all of a sudden they hate us. But you know. My boy and I got through it. You'll you'll get through it. But also, didn't you feel the way this scene played out? I, I kind of wondered if after a little bit, the sheriff maybe was getting curious. Yeah. And, and I did wonder if maybe this was a bit of a ruse to convince the father to, sh to let him check things out. I don't know. I, it might not have been the case, but I felt that the way this was acted and the way the scene was laid out, it was very intense. I thought very intense. I thought that dad was intentionally giving Fenton a choice mm -hmm. because because uh, the sheriff says, well, maybe we should maybe we should just check the cellar just to appease him or whatever. And dad says, well, if it must be done, I guess it must be done. And then he looks at Fenton and says, Fenton, 
must it be done. Mm-hmm. And Fenton takes him down there. It's so ominous the way he says it, right? Right. What do you think, kiddo? Does it have to be done? He's not talking about checking out the cellar. <laughs> right. Right. And so the kid uh, takes the uh, the cop down there, but the teenager isn't down there anymore. And Fenton says, well... Uh, I can show you where they're buried. And the cop looks a little bit skeptical, but maybe like he's starting to think, uh, mm-hmm. maybe he's starting to believe. And he's, the cop starts to walk up the steps, then comes flying back down um, because dad is, he axed him, right? Yeah. Like in the chest. Yeah. Killed him. And, and dad had said earlier, if you tell, someone will die. Yeah. And he's upset because he says, Fenton, I have never killed anything in my entire life. And and you made me do this. This man is dead because of you. He's Dad's practically crying. He's that upset. Mm-hmm. And Fenton's like, no, I've seen you kill many people. He's like, no, those were demons that were destroyed. This is a man who was killed. And it's because of you. I told you this would happen. And because of you, this man is dead. Yeah, and and he says, the angel told me you were a demon. And so he locks him in the cellar, and they... There are parts of this you really have to suspend your disbelief, because supposedly he's down there for a week with no food, and just with Adam coming in once a day to pour some water through a hole in the floor for him to drink. Mm. And after a week... Finally, one time Adam goes to check on him and he's unresponsive. So dad opens the door, pulls him out, starts giving him some water. But Fenton tells, you know, Wesley, Agent Wesley, he says, eventually he, after going down there, I went, you know, you can go crazy. And eventually I did see God and I understood my destiny. Right. Mm -hmm. Which (laughs) I think is true. Um, I I think that he did feel uh, a sense of destiny at this point. So they pull him out. Fenton tells dad he saw God. One week later, dad takes Fenton to get a demon. This guy seems like a really bad guy. Seems, I don't know, he he looks like a big, tough motorcycle-type guy. He yells obscenities at at his girlfriend through the door. He seems like a bad guy. Mm -hmm. This guy fights back, um, but Fenton knocks him out. They go back to the shed, and Fenton, uh, Dad hands Fenton the axe, and Fenton says, I'm ready to fulfill my destiny. And he raises the axe, but instead of bringing it down on the demon guy, he plants it right in his dad's chest. Mm-hmm. And Bill Paxton does a great job here, too. You know, he looks surprised and sad, And he falls down, and Adam runs to him, and right before Dad dies, he whispers something in Adam's ear. Mm -hmm. Adam looks at Fenton with kind of hatred um, in his eyes. And then quite suddenly, which was like kind of a jump scare, like grabs the axe and and takes out that guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Adam himself can do what Fenton couldn't. Um, he's motivated, and, and you're like, he's totally under the spell as well, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy never got saved, right? So right. you just never know where this movie was going to go, honestly. Yeah, that was, a, that was shocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's also just shocking to see a small child 
in that in that state of rage you know with a weapon like that like i mean mm-hmm. that's just shocking to see period and i mean he's he screams as he races towards the guy uh very creepy and then it cuts back to present day and Fenton says, so we waited a week and then we went and said dad never came home from work and they put out a missing person, you know, thing, but they never found him. So eventually we were sent to separate orphanages. But before they were separated, you see a scene of the two boys together and Fenton says to Adam, if you ever destroy me, promise you'll bury me here. And Adam just looks at him and says, I promise to God I'll bury you here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, very creepy. And the detective's confused. He says, wait, wait, wait a second. You told me that Adam said that to you. So wh- that doesn't make any sense. How would that make any sense? And he says, well, it would make sense if the man standing in front of you right now is Adam. Yep. And that's when he confesses that he is not Fenton. He is actually Adam, Matthew McConaughey. He's been Adam all along. And, and he shows uh, Wesley the graves, and he explains, and this is a, a detail that I had forgotten, he explains that Fenton is the murderer that the guy is looking for. Mm. But, in fact, uh, Fenton is a demon, and his dad told him that, and he believed it, but he couldn't kill Fenton until God put him on his list. And he had now put him on the list and we see adam kill fenton so apparently the story of quote unquote adam killing himself that we saw in the beginning was not true we see the real adam matthew mcconaughey walk up behind his brother and his brother is seated at a desk and he just looks up and says adam doesn't turn around and we see adam raise the uh axe and and bring it down and this is when the big reveal comes that we flash back again to all of the times that dad had brought home a demon and laid his hands on and we see what dad and adam saw these people were if nothing else terrible people yeah murderers and child molesters and um, so I think that what we now are meant to believe is that dad was telling the truth the whole time. Yeah. This was, this was a divinely inspired mission. Yeah. And yet, even at this moment, I still wondered, yeah, but maybe this is what dad thought he saw. I still wasn't entirely convinced at this point that this was, that, that the movie wasn't leading me down a, a wrong road. Because it could be what Dad thought he saw, and not necessarily that these people actually had this in their past. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it was very specific. Yeah, of <laughs> you course. know, you saw you saw the nurse laying in bed next to a guy whose throat she had slit, mm. and you see the older bald gentleman luring a small girl to his car, and then you see him dragging her body out. I I, I thought and. These were the things that originally Paxton was going to show when they happened in the moment. And James Cameron said, don't show it. Save it till the end because you need people to be with Fenton. You need them to be as skeptical as Fenton is. And I think it was absolutely the right choice. And I really like the reveal here. This is when then Adam, I don't remember if he brings up Wesley's mother again or if he just grabs a hold of Wesley and we get one of these flashbacks 
and we see that it was Wesley who murdered his mother. Mm -hmm. And we also see that Wesley, the police at some point, go to Fenton's house, and we see that uh, Wesley's name was the last name on the list. Mm -hmm. He's the seventh of of these people, I guess. Yeah. But uh, he was a demon, and Fenton kills him and buries him in the Rose Garden. Before Wesley dies, he says, I'm an FBI agent. They're going to be looking for me. He says, no, they're not going to be looking for you. They're going to be looking for Fenton. And because Fenton really was a murderer who kept his trophies in his basement, when they find that, they believe that Fenton was the murderer all along. Yep. It's brilliant. Uh, and, and then it, it's, it's as though they remember that somebody had come to speak to Wesley the night before he had died or been uh, gone missing or whatever, but nobody can remember what he looked like. The uh, agent who was in there, who was the only other one there, who kind of popped in and said, hey, you know, before Wesley and... and um, and uh, Fenton got too deep in their conversation, said, hey, I'm going to be going home. Are you sure you don't need me to stick around? He's like, no, fine. He's the one who comes back. And he says, honestly, like, I know it's crazy, but his, he's just a blur to me. <laughs> yeah, he says, I, I looked right at him. I shook his hand, mm-hmm. but I, I can't remember what he looked like. And they say, oh, that's that's okay, because we've got surveillance tapes. And they start playing them, and, and Matthew McConaughey starts to walk into frame, and then the tape, fuzzes out just over him (laughs) just over his face as he's walking across it's like you know like vhs tapes would do they fuzz out in certain places sometimes it's right right there kind of following him and i'm just watching this i'm going holy shit (laughs) this is where the movie is going right yeah and they go to fenton's house they find the trophies all of that and then um the agent calls the sheriff a sheriff's office again talks to the woman again she's like yeah you can you can talk to the sheriff he's here and he walks into the sheriff's office and guess who the sheriff is <laughs> it's adam it's adam uh he walks out but, towards but him the agent that the agent doesn't recognize him at all. at all yeah you think for a second he might because there's like this whole thing and but then he doesn't and then they walk outside and adam and as they go part ways adam shakes his hand and he looks at him and he goes you're a good man. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you're a good man, Agent Hall, he says. And then uh, Agent Hall gets in his car and drives off, and the chick from the inside kind of comes out. And, um, and and she's pregnant, and I had also noticed that uh, Adam was wearing a wedding band now, so oh. I, I think that this is his wife. Um, and... She says, is everything okay? And he says, yes, God's will has been served. And she says, praise God, and kind of embraces him. I think she's in on it. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly, yeah. It, I, that's She was, you know, when uh, she got the phone call in the beginning, It was that was a cover story. Mm-hmm. You know, she's totally in on this whole thing, which I, I thought was clever and creepy. But I don't know. I just thought it was a, a really... A clever story and I, I thought that the reveal was so interesting and and it, it just completely subverted my expectations yeah it, it, it really never occurred to me that maybe god really was talking to dad mm-hmm. <laughs> you know maybe an angel really did appear to him that didn't occur to me it, it occurred to me that maybe he was crazy or maybe there was something strange and supernatural going on but it never occurred to me that no legit 
It's God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Again, beautifully shot, really interesting, on the edge of my seat the whole time, drawn into it the whole time, kept me guessing up to the very end. And then the ending, like you said, was not what I expected. I did not expect this to end up becoming a supernatural thing where dad was actually probably actually receiving these visions and then his son is too and presumably he's going to be this is you know the family legacy right <laughs> uh-huh They're passing it down to his soon-to-be-born kid and oh my god so interesting right yeah i, I liked this movie yeah, a lot i didn't notice but apparently in the very last frame as it dollies away from matthew mcconaughey and the woman who plays his wife two young boys go across the screen either on bicycles or scooters, scooters or something yeah. and and they're played by the actors who played the the brothers as children mm-hmm. Paxton said that he did that intentionally you know almost like almost as though this is all happening in kind of a twilight zone kind of universe um i i didn't even notice but clever nonetheless he even gave a reason for you know that's kind of a mystery like why is the name otis carved onto the axe and i guess in the commentary he mentioned well he mentioned how he came up with the name otis apparently he was trying to give some money to a homeless man and the homeless man didn't want his money so he said well can i buy the rights to your name for my movie and so you know he put ended up putting the guy's name on the axe but he also said he wanted to personalize the axe right Mm -hmm. i don't know that was was like also like it was an air heirloom right that that, something very specific an heirloom that was personalized that was passed on right and he kind of wanted it to be a character in and of itself Mm. i mean it's kind of like leatherface's chainsaw you know it it kind of is a character in and of itself and it's good you know this i i'm glad that people suggested this i feel like this has been brought up more than once over the years um but um, you know, right back to back, we got a couple of requests for it uh, on our Patreon page, and I'm glad that we finally got around to it. Heck, I think this is one of the. I think we talked about doing this movie like when we very first started. Yeah, it was it was up there, um, and we just never got around to it. And so here we are, what six, five, six years later. It's about time. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. And, you know, we do have a Patreon going on right now. and This is one of the benefits that we've decided to grant the, those folks who support us on our Patreon page, that we do put out uh, a little poll to that group of the requests that we've received, and then they can kind of vote on the next one that comes up. So we're really happy to do that. And a very big shout-out to our three newest patrons, Haley, Tyler, and Roy. Thank you so much for your support. And if you're willing to support and happy to support this podcast, go out to a patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast or you can go to our website twoguys.red40net.com and there's a link there as well you get um, access to an exclusive 90 minute interview as well as mini sods that we're putting out about random topics and as well the full unedited version of our phone calls Um, please uh, share this podcast with a friend that's some of the best support that we can get to help grow our listenership through Facebook and Twitter and uh, our webpage just search two guys in a chainsaw podcast and let us know what you thought of this episode and anything else you would like us to review in the future until next time I'm Todd and I'm Craig with two guys in a chainsaw